<coughs> reflection, uh, mindfulness, in uh, in Thai they they use the word jitta, Pali word for consciousness, and they. Uh, Then we have the the other word vinyana, <coughs> but uh, consciousness, of course, is what is happening right now, and the terminologies are, you know, can be. Uh, we can argue about the terminology uh, for this reality of this moment. But uh, the point is, is uh, to recognize it. So you can't, you can't find consciousness as an object. You can't, just, you know, it's like a thought you can see, you can observe yourself thinking or feeling or feeling happy or sad or greedy or bored or angry. <coughs> But that observing uh, ability to observe is consciousness itself. So it's not a matter of, of defining or of uh, finding, that, finding it as something or that you can uh, grasp hold of and, and say this is it. It's recognition. So realizing, recognizing this. Because we can, you know, we can spend the, this whole morning time just thinking about consciousness or thinking about practice or thinking about not thinking. Or and so much of the I mean, the the world that we live in is is the creation through thinking and holding views and opinions, being somebody, having having a something to get, have a goal to attain. That's that's a personal uh, involvement, <coughs> or having or uh, holding a view that you're. You're very. Uh, you've got a lot of defilements that you have to get rid of. Or just thinking, you know, going along with the, with the, uh, you know, that there's no self, and and as a as an intellectual uh, grasping of non-self. So that's where the word reflection. Uh, you're reflecting on the way it is as all that arises ceases. So thought, whatever the thought, you know, the grand, magnificent, mean, small, good, bad, right and wrong, they are what they are. They arise, they cease. Feeling arises and ceases. You have no permanent feeling uh, that you can sustain. You can't be permanently happy or permanently sad. You can't sustain it and, and keep it as your, as your basis for, uh, 
that to reflect from. So if you if you're caught in a in a sad mood or in a depressing uh, mental state, then we the thoughts that come from that tend to be uh, reinforce that whole whole uh, mood. So if I'm feeling depressed or down or whatever, then then the way I think tends to be uh, come from that feeling. Or if I'm happy, life is just wonderful, then the thoughts tend to to be all very positive, happy ways of looking at everything, just noticing the beauty of life and the goodness. But the awareness then is awakening. It's not that one can be thoroughly non-awake even when one is caught in when one is just bound to the the feelings the emotions that one is experiencing at this time so that's what I mean creator of the world uh, that's the world we live in you think we live in the same world, don't you? But we don't. Each one of us, you live in your own world that you create. <coughs> so, you know, how can we, you know, we try to resolve issues around views and opinions and what's right and wrong. We, uh, and we think maybe my view is the right, uh, you know, if I should assume my view of the world is the right one, then I have to convert you, try to, um, kind of get you to see it my way. <coughs> but as we all know, that's trying to live life, uh, doing that is uh, an endless struggle, trying to get everybody at Amravati to agree with me and see everything my way is, uh, you know, exhausting and an impossible task. <coughs> And yet the conceit, I can be conceited enough to think that my view is the right one and that because it's right you all should have the same view. And this is, this is a self-conceit. <coughs> Even if my view is right, <coughs> it's still a view. You know, so, you know, so I can say very righteous things and be very right in everything I say and be still be not awake to what I'm doing. <coughs> so, so I come across as righteous, uh, kind of uh, imposing my views upon you and then, uh, then if you, you might agree or you might disagree or you might feel angry uh, or upset or I might even inspire you if, you if my view really appeals and and then you you grasp my view then you might you probably would feel inspired by that so the pointing to this to the grasping of conditions as the cause of suffering so like the 
uh, avicca or not understanding, not being awake, not seeing things as they are, then even with our best intentions and good thoughts and generous attitudes and altruism and idealism that is all praiseworthy and uh, beautiful in itself, if grasped out of ignorance, tends to lead to suffering. The result is, you know, we become angry, we become embittered, we feel let down by things, we let down by people, betrayed by others. I've noticed in the Sangha how easy it is to, the word betrayed, I feel betrayed, is a, is a common expression when somebody does something or that we don't like or goes against what we've expected from them or does something that we don't approve of. And it's, I feel betrayed. And I've noticed this in myself. I've used that word <laughs> plenty of times. You know how many times I felt betrayed. Uh, but the awakeness, rather than grasping that view, is the is the uh, point of Buddhist meditation, the essence of it. Or to dwell on, you know, the injustices, you know, how some people, you know, that don't deserve it get the rewards, or some people, uh, you know, get the, get the position that we should have, or get the raise, get the increase of salary that, and they don't, and they're just lazy, don't do the work, I do all the work, and I never, nobody notices this kind of feeling of, it's not fair, it's not right, it's a very, it can take over uh, our conscious moments, being, being betrayed or misunderstood or it's not fair, it shouldn't be like this. So uh, recognize it in uh, what I'm pointing to, is uh, is not to try to create a world that we all where everything's fair. And even though, if I could, you know, if that was a possibility, then certainly be quite willing to put that into effect. But there's no there's no point in waiting for everything to uh, to uh, come together to where I feel totally secure in the world that we all agree to and, and the rules and principles and standards that we live by. But by actually awakening to the reality of this moment, no matter what it is, even if it's totally unfair, uh, wrong, misunderstood, betrayed, whatever. So this is a challenge of, uh, you know, because this also uh, helps to reflect conceit and vanity. Because we can be very righteous and good and and intelligent and altruistic and still be very conceited about it.
So conceit then is a strong sense of self, of one's importance, one's, uh, or even the, even the conceit that I'm not important. I'm just an ordinary bloke, you know, of no importance, is, a, is another self-conceit. And of course, conceit is the, uh, comes out of ignorance, and, atta- and then the, the attachment to that conceit, we create a world of, you know, that we live in. <coughs> so what you live in, you know, what you, what you identify with and hold to is the world that you've created. So the knower of the world, loka we do, knower of the world. This is, this is what I mean by taking refuge in the Buddha, Bhutang Ternangachami. I take refuge in the Buddha. Taking refuge in the awareness of the world, knowing the world is the world. What is the flavor of the world? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What does the world feel like? You know, so you begin to know the world. You're not trying to, to just get rid of the world you've created <coughs> by suppressing it or trying to destroy it, but <coughs> knowing it, the knowing uh, that, that is available to us here and now. Knowing all conditions are impermanent, they're not self. So say on an emotional level, when you're feeling betrayed, misunderstood, uh, you know, and this, you might have just grounds of not denying that, that uh, this, you know, this might not be at all, a, uh, you know, something, a kind of, mental disease or a paranoia that you're suffering from, but we, we all experience times where we are treated badly and betrayed by others and, and, uh, not, and, th- and, and our experience is we're not being treated fairly. So not to think that that is wrong, but the grasping of that mood, the world that we create out of that mood, what does it taste like? I use the word taste. What is the taste of the world? What is the flavor of the world that I create, that, I'm li- that I've created now? So this is a reflection, isn't it? I ask myself questions to, to look at it in a way that I begin to see it and notice, not just be caught in the momentum of of feeling sorry for myself or feeling feeling angry with somebody because they've betrayed me, but recognize this this feeling of being betrayed, misunderstood is like this. And by contemplating that, looking at it, that which is aware of that, is uh, what we, is the refuge of Buddha, 
knowing, seeing the Dhamma. So this word Dhamma then is is a refuge, not not taking refuge in in the, in the impermanent conditions we create, but knowing thing, knowing conditioned phenomena in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of, of interpretations of my world, my view, my opinion. So this this means that liberation is here and now, and it isn't dependent upon the world, the conditions around us, whether we're in prison or being tortured or being betrayed, being persecuted, misunderstood, being praised, being adulated, adored, uh, whatever the the conditions might be. Uh, the the challenge is to awaken, whatever whatever to be trust in that awakened awareness in the present of this the way it is. It's like this feeling disappointed, betrayed is like this. And as I rest in that awareness of it, you know, that surrender to that awareness. Uh, you begin to hear uh, all the self, the little voices, the inward voices, and the complaints, the grumbling, the the sadness, the disappointment, the conceits of of the of a self. But no, it's not judging. It's not uh, trying to to uh, evaluate it or analyze it, but just recognize seeing the world as the world. Recognizing that that the um, uh, the conditions that we're living in right now, the human body, for example, is the way it is. Each one of us, uh, you know, has a, an individual body to experience through consciousness. So it's uh, you know it's male or female body. It's uh, young, old, middle-aged, healthy, sickly, weak, strong. Tall, short, fat, thin, whatever—it's—it's uh, it's, um, this body is definitely a create is a is a condition of the of the that comes through uh, uh, our karma, and that it's the result of having been born. Uh, then birth it means that. This uh, this form that was born 70 years ago is now like this. And by reflecting in this way, it's not judging it and saying, you know, uh, uh, or ignoring it, but just recognizing uh, what what a body, having a human body is as experience here and now. That's why the the pleasure we we have the pleasurable sensations, painful ones, are to be reflected on, to be noticed, to be received. So the body is very much part of the practice, not to just kind of shut it out of consciousness and ignore it, but bring it into this present 
what is the, what is your body like right now as experience and that's a different the whole different way of of uh, looking at it th than we generally do through our cultural conditioning which is very strongly identified with it, with it being male or female body how many of very strong identities with your gender and uh, and all that and then the result of that identity with the gender of the body uh, we create a world around that women are like this men are like that should be shouldn't be men shouldn't be so aggressive and and women should be not so emotional and where we, we form views and opinions and that's through through the identity of uh, that we have on that level of creation creating ourselves into a male or a female a monk or a nun a samanera a siladara an anagarika an agarika, a lay man a lay woman these are conventions that uh, that we uh, uh, you know we use in the worldly on the worldly plane, but that identity with them, that unquestioned alignment with that particular perception, is the cause of suffering. And apply that to every other identity, you know, like class or uh, race, ethnic uh, background, religion. You know, Buddhists, we can be just like any other religion, just uh, Buddhism is better than the rest, or <laughs> everybody should become a Buddhist. We can be, you know, very righteous and. Uh, and uh, sectarian about how we hold even a teaching like the like the Buddhas and that's because of the grasping out of ignorance not because of the convention itself is it it's not Buddhism is an expedient means the Four Noble Truths and the and uh, the Buddha Satana is an expedient means on a conventional level. It's not meant to be an end in itself or an identity. Or in terms of uh, monasticism, what is the point of monasticism? It, it's uh, you know it's a it's a convention that's supposed to reduce the level of identity so the the robes the shaven hair all these reduce the emphasis on the being male or female it's not to emphasize the the power uh, the of, ma of masculinity or the the beauty of the feminine or things like this we're not trying to 
to bring this out in, in, and emphasize the male-female. That's not identity, but as a, by shaving the head and wearing the robe, it, it's, uh, it has this, it's supposed to anyway reduce that identity. But yet we can make those identities very strong, you know, monks, nuns, lay men, lay women, we say anagarikas, anagarikas. On a conventional level, that's all right. You know, that's no, nothing wrong with the, conven the conditioned world is like that. It's going to divide and separate. That's its function. Discrimination, uh, criticism, and so forth. Uh, nothing wrong with any of this. It's not, not or trying to, to uh, you know, judge everything from, from one position, from one attitude. Because then we create that world again of separation, division, the dualistic thinking is, a, is for division, for separation, for discrimination. So it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of titanic effort really, isn't it, to, to get beyond that discriminatory tendency that we all have. And then it's uh, it's so strong, you know. Where it's what our education has been all about discriminating. And you can see so much of religion as presented in kind of popular religion, as it's generally held in in religions throughout the world, is quite discrim discriminatory, isn't it? It tends to we're Buddhists, we're Theravadan Buddhists. They're Muslims, Christians, Sunnis, Shias, Protestants, Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, atheists, not no, like that. No. And then we then we we identify with the term, and then the world we create out of that identity is uh, is the result of that attachment. So in uh, meditation, it's bringing us back to ground zero, to the, the zero, to the nothingness of this moment, the here and now, before I become a Buddhist monk, before I become Ajahn Sumedho, before I become a man, before I become anything at all. before I create the world. And to recognize that is, uh, and to trust that is, this is the, um, the great challenge.
So that's why in uh, in your life, in, you know, to to be able to, uh, you know, the karma that we have in the present <coughs> is uh, to, you know, is not to be attached to and identified with, but to be recognized. It is what it is. It's suchness as isness, da da da. It's empty, isn't it? All these conditions are empty. Even, you know, what doesn't feel empty to us is our emotions. Our, our intellectual, uh, analytical abilities can be quite cold and, and uh, judgmental. You know, we can, we can look at something very objectively in a dis- from a distance, uh, judging it on principles and values in a very cold way. Emotionally, uh, then uh, the world seems to become increasingly more real, to feel life, to have passion, uh, love and, and uh, beauty, truth, uh, to enjoy life, to rejoice and, and, and you know, feel this kind of ebullience and enthusiasm for life is very attractive. Very inspiring, and then then the more we try to just kind of fill our consciousness with with these kind of uh, attitudes, then we can easily sink to the opposite of kind of like manic depression, isn't it? Going from life is absolutely fantastic to life is meaningless, empty, worthless, disgusting. So emotions are, you know, it's the, the yo-yo kind of experience, up and down. I'm a slave to my emotions and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous world I'm living in because, uh, you know, how can I sustain this ebullient feeling I might be having? Life is wonderful, absolutely fantastic. How can I sustain it? It's easily punctured, isn't it? So, I've noticed this in myself where I've been feeling really happy and exuberant and I go into the salon I say, oh, life is what, and then somebody says some really dismal thing to me. And it's punctured. Suddenly that ebullience is gone. Feeling let down, disappointed. So the the refuge then is in the awareness of that. The more you're aware, on the condition level, life will be what it is. Sometimes it is wonderful, sometimes absolutely fantastic. Not denying that as experience. And by being aware of that doesn't mean, isn't a kind of downer to that. But it puts it in perspective where we're, we're no longer holding on to it or uh, you know, letting, uh, feeling this uh, sense of uh, wallowing in despair and depression when it's gone. 
and we have a, a sustainable a conscious ability to transcend the just the the karma of this present moment. Not by denying or getting rid of it, but by recognizing it. So this is uh, the uh, liberation, nibbana, freedom from suffering. So we can be free from suffering and still be suffering. That's a paradox, isn't it? I mean, we can still feel pain and, and uh, negative thoughts. We can still be uh, aware of the, the kind of feeling of being betrayed, let down by life, and uh, the, the, the discomfort of disease or sickness or physical pain. But not suffering from it, even though it is suffering. Because we don't create an identity with it anymore. It is what it is. The world, the taste of the world is like this. Because even the absolutely fantastic world that we can sometimes uh, create, if you really look at it, it's you're you're you know and and not attached to it, it is still absolutely fantastic. It doesn't doesn't uh, uh, you know make it less, but it puts it in perspective. We're not depending on it anymore. We're not measuring experience through the highs we have in life, uh, through the successes and the, the, pl the wonderful experiences that we have in our lives. Because attachment means that when, when, we have, when we're on a high and we're feeling positive and wonderful about everything, then we, the attachment to that, we measure the rest of our lives with those memories. And so we, we're always seeking to renew them. So the, when I, the year I was a Samanera, I, you know, I went through the whole, whole kind of gamut of emotional extremity from A to Z, and uh, in that year where there's a, a, you know, absolutely hellish, absolutely fantastic bliss and beauty and hideousness and demonic. Uh, visions and all kinds of, you know, re really kind of powerful uh, emotional, mental states would I would experience. But actually, through sustained awareness and learning to trust that more and more, was able to to uh, balance myself, not be, not go crazy, not lose my mind, not be lost. But then. Uh, because I did have such uh, profound insight. The following year, when I became a bhikkhu, went to stay with Ajahn Chah, I kept longing to have 
I remember some of the, the, the blissful states I experienced the first year and longed for them in the second year. <laughs> so that was, uh, <laughs> and I kept identifying, I think, well, you know, at Wat Pong with Ajahn Chah, you don't get those sustained periods. You know, you've got to go out on Bindabad every day. You've got to, unless you're absolutely zonked and, you know, fully incapable of getting up out of your, off your mat in the morning, you have to get up at three in the morning. They weren't generous like we are here. They said, oh, I don't feel like going to morning puja this morning. Well, okay. <laughs> you really had to be, you know, you know, almost, you know, dead or paralyzed to dare not go. And so there was, uh, it was, um, we had to work in the afternoon and uh, then uh, meetings and things like this. So I, now all this was unnecessary and I kept longing for that freedom I had, you know, even though I was, uh, you know, incarcerated in this kuti for a year, uh, still, you know, there's no social pressures on me. No meetings to attend, no, didn't have to go Bindapod or anything, just be with myself for a whole year. And then, um, then I kept thinking, well, that's, that's the real practice. And I kept doubting the, the practice uh, uh, that I was uh, involved with uh, at Watpapo. <coughs> and so I, I, <laughs> I convinced myself that I had to go back. I had to find a place, you know, where I could uh, practice like I did when I was a summoner. So after the Vasa with Ajahn Shah, I finally kind of forced him to give me permission to go. So I went to this place in Sukhulnakorn province, Pupek Mountain, and uh, lived there for six months trying to revive the, these blissful moments. Uh, six months of almost continuous hell-like experiences on this place. Everything went wrong. Illness, I got very sick. They had to carry me. The village men had to carry me down this mountain and put me in this little, I lived in this little kind of lean-to under a tin roof in the hot season, everything was everything was going wrong, and uh, uh, full of anger and resentment towards. Uh, there was one monk I was with that I, I fixed. For some reason, the mind will do this. It sees, it will. You know, this what surprised me was how I fixed all my anger and resentment on one person, one monk. He didn't really do anything that much to deserve it, but it's like how the mind works. When I was had this opportunity to be alone, like I wanted, I got what I wanted, and then the mind would. <coughs> but I couldn't get what I wanted mentally. I couldn't get back those blissful moments, no matter 
you know, trying to sit there and meditate and get samadhi and, and all that, it just seemed, wasn't working because I was operating from a memory. I, was, I already had in mind what I wanted and I was trying to get it. And when it happened the first year and when I was a there, I didn't know what I wanted. I had no it, per, previous experience uh, to judge it from, no memory. So it happened quite naturally as an unfolding because I wasn't trying, I didn't have a, a memory of the, that kind of bliss. So it happened because I, w I had no view that I was holding about it. The second year I was holding a view created from a memory of having had that and then trying to get it back. So it's, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is uh, one of the problems of avicca, isn't it? Even when you have, uh, you know, insights and <coughs> bliss and, and that through samadhi, you know, it's a, it, you know, if we're not really aware and reflecting, then we tend to, uh, you know, hold on to the memory. Would like we remember something pleasant, we want to have it again. We want more of it, like eating sweets, isn't it? Or remember that somebody used to send these these almonds to the office sometimes. They were they had some kind of spice around them, and they were, uh, you know, really kind of posh, you know, in a nice nicely packaged and they send these almonds to the office and I go in the office and they offer me they put this little tin of these almonds in front of me and I take one and it was so delicious you know and I found you know I could hardly stop myself <laughs> because as I ate one then the desire rose immediately to have another one because it was so pleasant so delicious And embarrassing, they probably ate the whole tin, didn't leave any for the rest. <laughs> and then you feel embarrassed, you know, what a glutton. Being abbot of the monastery and being a total glutton in front of your, in front of people in the office. <laughs> but that, but the, the point is, is that, that pleasure is like that, isn't it? Sense pleasure, mental pleasure, emotional pleasure, pleasure is, you know, we have the memory of having pleasure and we want more. More and more pleasure. So that's what addiction is like, you know, we become addicted to something that we find pleasurable or exciting. So, uh, or we, we the opposite, you know, like if, uh, I remember when I was learning to drive, you know, when I was about 16, uh, my father's teaching me how to drive, and, and, and a friend, he, this friend of mine had a car, so he took me out one day uh, to a car park, and I, he was teaching me how to drive, and I was driving, and I, and I turned the car over in the parking lot. <laughs> and then, 
And then immediately I thought, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then he insisted that I, get, you know, we, we turned the car back over and we managed to, to, uh, to <laughs> you know, insisted that I do it again. And the same happened with my father. You know, I, I nearly hit another car and, and, and I, just, I just felt so bad, I just wanted to stop driving. And he, he forced me to get in there and drive. Because they're memories of sitting behind a wheel and, and turning a car over, almost hitting somebody, brought such fear and negative states. Just the memory of that. I, mean, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be in a situation where I, where I might do that. So there is incredible resistance. And it's through that kind of, you know, you, my father kind of understood that. So he's, he almost, you know, propelled me into the, you know, behind the steering wheel of the car and, and, and kind of forced me to drive just to break down that, that he, I guess he saw that if I just followed that, I'd probably never learn to drive. Because that's the way the mind works, you know, bad memories of places or people. Think of someone you've had bad experience with, some individual that you've had uh, a very unpleasant experience with in your life. And uh, you don't want to see them, do you? I don't. Wish I'd never see them again. And when, when, they, when, when, they are, when they do come around, you don't, you'd rather ignore them or not speak to them <laughs> or just avoid or forget them because the memories of that person uh, you know, make you want to reject them and move away. Or somebody you, you really like, you know, really you have affinity with, best friend, and we really get on so well. We really, you know, are like two peas in a pod, and we really <laughs> love each other, for, you know. And, and that person comes in, and we can hardly, you know, oh, wonderful. We gravitate to them like bee to honey. Because that's the way it is. And what is a pleasant, what we remember as being pleasant, we, we want more of. What we remember as being unpleasant, we, we want to get away from it, reject it. So what transcends that, you know, is the awareness. So this is a trans. I mean, this word transcendent also is a dodgy word because it sounds like I'm above it all, you know, kind of up in the air, looking down on everything in an objective way. But for me, when I use this word, it means like embracing. It's, it includes the willingness to to really uh, look at the karma of of uh, of, of having. Uh, memories of something pleasant and wanting more, being able to recognize that, not judge it as something I shouldn't follow, but recognizing it for what it is. It's like this, this desire for more. I want more. I love that. I want more of it is like this. The desire to, I don't want any more of that. I never want to see that person again is like this. 
No, so it's a transcending or an embracing through that transcendence the whole the whole present moment in a non-judgmental way. It's recognizing that these are conditions arising, ceasing. So in this awareness then, it's, it's, you know, the, I think many people get, get uh, kind of uh, disillusion with meditation or monastic life because uh, they aren't getting what they expected from it. So if you, you know, so if you're expecting something, like it's, it's so easy to think, well, I've, if I become a monk, then I'm going to, that's the, that's the, the fast road to nirvana. And, uh, and then you, you become a monk or a nun, and then it's not so, it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere much of the time. <laughs> what we expect. So what we, uh, I say the, the kind of depressing uh, fact of life is uh, for the human being is that we, uh, we, uh, what we generally find is not what we're expecting. So expecting something is is another you know is another creation. I'm expect I've already have some expectation of getting something or an expectation of bliss or nibbana or liberation from suffering means that I'm never going to feel any pain or have any negative emotion anymore. I'm just I'm just going to you know when I'm enlightened then I'll be just uh, so happy, pure and loving and and uh, joyful and radiant as an ongoing experience through the rest of my life is, uh, you know, is a lovely romantic picture. Uh, and expecting that to be the result, you're only going to be terribly disappointed because that's not the way it is. That's not what the Buddha was pointing to. So it's uh, say the the uh, meditation then is is uh, seen through this the way we create the, what we expect or what we dread or fear or anticipate or whatever the, being able to put this in the context of seeing it in terms of what it really is a condition that has arisen that will cease or that ceases.
So for me, like the challenge always is using the situation oh, that I'm experiencing now, trusting in the awareness. Uh, no matter how, you know, miserable it might be or pleasant. Or how, you know, you know the, the pride and the conceit and all that that the uh, human being has. Uh, to be able to use, not trying to become someone who's not proud or conceited, but recognizing it. Once it's recognized, it's no longer a problem. They're like phony saints and kind of pious uh, religious people can be, you know, really uh, false and and that because they're trying to become something, live uh, some ideal, live up to some ideal that they're attached to, trying to make themselves into something without realizing what they're doing. Where in uh, and this is uh, is where, where some you know like the the oftentimes the the way we we look at religious people who are goody goody and and always spouting pious phrases and become very moralistic and and that we feel and at least I do feel you know, kind of aversion to that not attractive and it and it resonates with the phoniness falseness delusion. So, uh, so even though you know they're, they're oftentimes right in what they say, you know you should should be good, and you shouldn't. You should love your mother and father, and you should be kind to animals, and you should uh, not be proud, and you shouldn't get angry, and you should. <laughs> These are all you know. It's true. But the reality of this present moment is like this. It's not what it should be, but it is the way it is. And, that, and then that's true humility, isn't it? Because it's, it's humbling, because we can't be what we, we should be. You can't make yourself into something you should be. Uh, and sustain it. You know, one can play a role. One, I can act. I can, I, I can really act like a really good saint. I'm quite capable of putting on a saintly, of putting on a halo and looking saintly. <laughs> but I can also put on horns and a forked tail. But these are, you know, these this these are uh, conditions changing, aren't they? These are this is not liberation. So this this awakening then is is the essence. Then the the way, and this is the path. The path is immediate, here and now. Awareness, awakeness is the path itself. And so, uh, don't, you know, even though how many times you might feel I'm getting nowhere or I'm 
can't do it, or it's not what I expected, or that is the moment you you tur switch on the light to that the feeling, that awareness. That's the path. You're there. You're here. You're here and now. Nothing more than that. Then you create more onto that. Then that you're off again. You know you you you've lost it. So it's learning to trust this, this just this simplicity, simplicity of awareness. So offer this for reflection. <laughs>